Hey there, Mike Stelzner coming to you with a fascinating update you might not be familiar with. Did you know that Social Media Examiner can deliver all the marketing, training, news, and trends, insights that you need into your inbox three days a week when you sign up for our newsletter and it's completely free? Simply visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates and take your marketing to the next level. Welcome to the Crypto Business Podcast, helping you navigate the frontier of crypto. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Crypto Business Podcast, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for innovative thinkers who want to know what works in the world of Web3. Today, I'm going to be joined by Jason Keith, and we're going to talk about NFT creation and what you need to be thinking about when you're starting a project. I think you're going to love this episode because I ask him the really challenging questions that you probably are afraid to ask. <laughs> and I think you're really going to love what you hear in today's episode. By the way, I'm at Stelzner on Instagram and at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter. And if you're new to this podcast, be sure to follow this show so you don't miss any of our future content. We've got some great stuff coming your way. Did you know that we can deliver awesome marketing info directly into your inbox? Simply subscribe to our weekly newsletter that comes out three days a week. You won't miss any of the updates going on in the world of social marketing. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates. Let's transition over to this week's interview with Jason Keith. Helping you to simplify your crypto journey. Here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Jason Keith. If you don't know who Jason is, he's a marketing consultant and CEO of Social Fresh, a consultancy that helps brands with their Web3 strategy and product launches. He's also the co-founder of Remint DAO. Jason, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Doing good, Michael. I'm excited to be on your show. We meet again in a new industry. It's pretty fun. I know. It's crazy. We've known each other pretty well in the social marketing world, and now we're both kind of dipping our toes in the Web3 world, you in a pretty substantial way. What I'm excited that we're going to talk about today is really how to start an NFT from the creation side of it, because you are an artist as well, and also what we need to be thinking about when starting a project. So what I would love to do with my first question is ask you, what's your story, man? How the heck did you go from social to Web3? Start wherever you want to start, because I'm sure people that know you from that other industry are curious about this story as much as I am. Yeah. I mean, we've both worked in the social space, both on conferences in that space, and you know, there's kind of a couple directions there. Immediately, our client services side of, of Social Fresh, where we do consulting, we started getting, you know, just a surprising number of questions around blockchain, around NFTs, different outreach around those and tokenization, different topics. And this is something that's been a personal passion of mine for a while, just the blockchain in general. I love innovation always. So we, we started leaning into that more and helping brands that we had worked with in the social capacity on Web3 topics. How did it start? Go back to like your very beginning. Like when did you actually start getting curious about either crypto and or NFTs? I probably bought like my first cryptocurrency in 2015, I think. Oh, you were early. Okay. And then sold and bought and sold. I mean, I wish I had bought a lot back then and then kept it, right? Like anybody else, uh, the people who did are, are doing very well. But yeah, I mean, I, I've played around with it. I've, I've read the white papers on Bitcoin and Ethereum and Solana and everything in between over you know the last five or six years. But 
I think two years ago is when we started, we actually started adding in Web3 topics like NFTs into our customer surveys through Social Fresh, and it would score higher than, you know, like Clubhouse, which was really hot at the time. And I was just shocked by how many people were interested in it. So we leaned into that direction. And I think if I step back even more, like I went to school for art, I was in the agency world as a, as a creative lead. My passion points have always been kind of art and innovation. And this just falls within that category. And I mean, there's a social piece to it. There's a finance piece to it. So I've, I've worked in all these different industries. So it's just a strong fit for my personal interest and for kind of my business interests as well. So tell us a little bit about that art background. So I, I got a BFA in college, uh, Bachelor of Fine Arts. Um, so you have to submit a portfolio, do a final portfolio review, things like that. The, the thing I remember about doing art in college is your classes are twice as long as everyone else's. It's studio hours. So you literally go to twice as many hours of classes every week. So it's, you know, it's like architects do the same thing in college. Um, so you, you spend a lot of time crafting in a huge amount of disciplines. So whether you do, you're doing sculptures and paintings and photography and design. My BFA was in design and photography, but I leaned heavily into painting was one of my passion points. But, you know, I, I worked in, as, a, as a designer and as a creative lead out of college. So when I transitioned from agency life to running Social Fresh and started Social Fresh uh, in 2008, I kind of stopped doing art for a long time. I mean, I would do some little things here and there and design some things for us. But, you know, it's, it's been a while since I've been able to dive into my artistic passion in, in the way that NFTs and Web3 has allowed me to. So it's really exciting to, to be able to exercise those muscles again and get back into that mindset. Have you found that the marketing community who you've been targeting for a long time with your social fresh conferences, because we started pretty much right around the same time I started in 2009. Have you found that that community has been receptive to this web three side of things? Some, I mean, you know, it, we're, we're 15 years into social media, so it's a much more mature space and every company that's over a certain size has Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok accounts, right? LinkedIn. And we're just at the beginning of that adoption curve for Web3. So I think companies that are inclined to have budgets for innovation, that are inclined to experiment and test new things are the ones that we talk to. And we're working much kind of higher in the org chart as well. Like we're mostly working with CMOs and, and, and kind of SVPs, EVPs that focus on innovation. But I mean, we're also working with startups that are, you know, Web3 or tech focused that are just you know, much more into the pure Web3 type of business one way or another. So it, there, there's a large spread of companies that are involved, but it's typically that innovation layer are the ones that are actually putting budget into the space right now. Okay. So you put on conferences just like I put on conferences. And then obviously a couple of years ago, COVID happened, right? Which forced us to kind of pivot, if you will. And you found your footing, it sounds like in the web three space, what are you doing in that space now? You've started your own consultancy. Talk to us a little bit about the kinds of services you're offering, who you're helping. Um, let's get into a little bit of like what you've done, if you will, to evolve the business, I guess, instead of pivot. I don't like the word pivot. <laughs> we did lean into consulting and quickly that consulting just organically became Web3 focused. We still do some social stuff, but most, if not all of our new business is Web3 projects. So that looks like a couple different things. Number one would be legacy brands, public companies, big brands that are interested in experimenting with Web3. So kind of Web2 companies coming into Web3 and we will be a full service Web3 agency for them. We can launch an NFT project, all including doing the art, doing all the development work. 
We can launch a Discord community for them, a tokenized community. We can help them do a play into the metaverse. We have kind of built out all those capabilities. And then the other type of client would be a pure Web3 company, someone that is already kind of you know a blockchain company or a marketplace or something like that. And typically they have pretty good Web3 capabilities, whether it comes to developers or other pieces of the industry, but they need a little more help on the traditional marketing side, the go-to-market strategy, messaging, that kind of thing. So we've done both, but we're really leaning mostly, I mean, I think the thing that we're best at and and uh, have the best skill set for is the helping Web2 brands come into Web3. That's been the most exciting work that we've done. Talk to me a little bit about your experience with your DAO and NFTs and stuff like that as well. So let's get into that a little bit. Yeah. So I'm a member of a few DAOs. Jump DAO is something that, Michael, I know you're also in, and I recommend if you're in marketing to check out. Um, Jump DAO is just a, Jeff Kaufman. a Web3. Yeah. Jeff Kaufman Jr. founded it last year. And it's for marketers, anybody in advertising and marketing that wants to learn more about Web3. Um, it's a really great community. Check that out. I started Remit DAO, which is focused on NFT collections. It's it's a collective of people that are interested in investing in NFT art. And we look for NFT projects that didn't get a lot of love. Kind of, you know, there's there's 10, 20 of these things launching a day sometimes. So some of some great art gets missed. So we're trying to identify some of those collections that just maybe didn't have a good marketing team, but the art was great, the dev team was great, and revive those, reinvest in them, partner with the founders, promote them, et cetera. And we're we're uh, very early in that project, but we just targeted our first collection and we uh, have already started investing in that collection and we'll be rolling out our thesis. When this airs, our thesis will have probably already publish. So if you go to remitdow.com or to our Twitter at remitdow, D-A-O, you can get that information and find out more about the collection. But that's been fun because I I mean, I really am passionate about the art and there's so much great art out there in, um, in the NFT space that just goes under the radar and I think could use a little bit more of a spotlight. For me, it's a natural bridge to come from social marketing into Web3 because prior to me really going all in on this space, I've noticed that it's been highly technical and it's been highly financial. And the side that seems to be missing is the community development and the marketing side of it. There are a couple of obviously collections that are the exception to the norm that are really, really crushing it with this, but it seems like we were in an era where everybody felt like if you build it, they will come. It felt like a Kevin Costner movie and it was kind of that way in the early days, but now it's a lot more work and that's where people like you, Jason come in really handy. And that's why I really want to focus a little bit today on, on the front end of this, because this is the key, I think to successful project launches, assuming other things are in place. But before we even go there, there are some businesses listening right now and either they're, existing businesses that have a marketing department that is considering launching an NFT collection, or they're uh, someone who used to work in a business that is aspirational going off and wanting to launch their own collection. But there's some people that are still skeptical. They're like thinking about it, but they're like, eh, it seems like such a steep hurdle. What do you want to say to those people? Why should they consider possibly creating an NFT project? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a couple answers there. I think first on the technology and, and a little bit on the social side, we're shifting from maybe a creator economy. I don't think the creator economy goes away, but we're shifting into this ownership economy space that you've, you've maybe heard people talk about in a couple of different ways. And NFTs are an essential technology layer to support that. Like the ownership economy exists because of NFTs as a technology. Define that for people that haven't heard that phrase before. Yeah, just think about you know all your activity today, any content you produce, any value that you create online, any, you know, as an individual, as a brand is 
controlled or published or promoted through centralized gatekeepers like Facebook and Google, Twitter, MailChimp, even, you know, these different software companies. And in an ownership economy, that content is, you know, something that you will actually own independent of these gatekeepers. So your contributions to a project, any art, music, writing that you produce, um, your data, tons of other value that you create online will be owned by you. You can get potentially financial upside to that, or it's just useful to have that data. You'll be able to control who has access to that. So it's it's a new layer of the internet that hasn't existed before. And it's, it's it sounds abstract if you haven't experienced it yet. But as an example, I bought, you know, this is just a small example. I could give you dozens of these, but I bought an NFT when when Playboy launched their 3D Ravatar collection. And I knew some of the team that was working on that project, wanted to support it. And I was able to attend a Playboy party in Miami when I was down there for a conference. And, you know, when when would you ever be able to attend a Playboy party these days? And, you know, I got free access to that. The only people that could go were people that were there or I think like Playboy playmates and a couple other celebrities they work with. I could also take that NFT and I can resell it. It still has value. So I, I got value out of it, some type of experience or utility or access, and I could resell it, you know, for, for profit. And historically, maybe you pay to go to an event or maybe you pay to join a club. If you buy an NFT to join something, you kind of own that and can get a longer lifespan out of that value. Uh, so those are just some small examples. There's a lot of different ways an ownership economy works, but I think it's an, it's going to be an essential part to how kind of the future of the internet works going forward. And NFTs are the technology layer underneath that. So, you know, I there is this marketing and social side to it as well. I think NFTs are also the future of community, of CRM, of you know, audience data in a lot of ways. And these technologies are coming. It's not a question of, of if, but it's when. Uh, so I think getting in now and learning how to use this technology, how to exercise these muscles, puts you ahead of other people, puts you ahead of where things are going next. Perfect. That's a great transition to my next question, which is let's think about the people that are actually willing to spend money slash ETH to buy NFTs. Like why? Why would someone <laughs> why would someone like me spend sixty thousand dollars on a moonbird, right? Or why would someone like you spend whatever you spent, you know, on a picture of something, right? Like what's the motivation behind it? Because I think some people need to wrap their head around the why people actually invest in PFP NFTs. Yeah, I mean there's there's of course a an appreciation for the art. And I think it makes art more accessible. That's kind of first and foremost. And then there's also less sexy, but you kind of have to make sure you're appreciating it in, in many different aspects, good and bad, speculation, financial speculation, that these are digital stores of value that um, they can appreciate. They can be worth more money than what you invest in them. They can also lose money. So it is specul- called speculation for a reason. But I think when you look at PFPs, PFPs or profile photos, avatars, any art that you can kind of replace your photo on Twitter or Reddit with, these are what have become the main entry point into Web3 for, for a lot of reasons. And it, it's mainly because it's an identity layer. I think that's what's taken off the most in NFTs. There's, there's going to be other use cases of NFTs, gaming, et cetera. But right now, what's really hitting the audience fit is this identity layer. So think about when you change your profile photo to a different photo, 
have you ever changed your profile photo to a piece of art? Like some people have before, but not most people. And a lot of people are doing that now because they identify with this art in some way. It's a personified representation of, of something that they appreciate. Either they've connected with that art in an abstract way that they really appreciate the value or the quality of it. They may have specific traits in that art, like maybe there's a shirt or a hat or an accessory or something that, that they really connect with or the color palette or just the style of it. And I think there's even cases, many cases actually, where the status of that art, like owning, like you said, something that's $60,000, people want people to know that they have things of value. So all of those are aspects of identity. And I think that's key to what's happening in the space right now. Not every NFT has to be on avatar profile photo, but you know, it, it's a very powerful piece of why those are being successful right now. If you think about the fashion industry, the beauty industry, these industries are very successful because they tap into our identity in such a key way. Even music, art, sneakers, the car industry in, in some capacity as well, they dial deep into our identities, our expression. Uh, so I think PFPs have that crossover appeal of identity slash culture, and they also support that you know there's there's other benefits like community and and the financial speculation but i think that that identity slash culture piece is, is very key it's fascinating because i didn't get it for the longest time i have just both of us you know we have personal brands like people know who we are and like i didn't understand why people who had personal brands would change their picture to like a mutant ape which is the ugliest thing i've ever seen you know or <laughs> you know or um whatever and then or an owl. Yeah. Or an owl that some people think is a penguin, right? Like some people think mine is a penguin because it has a cowboy hat on it. You know, I eventually changed it because I want to send a signal to uh, the industry that I am part of this industry and I'm also part of this tribe. You know, I'm a believer in Kevin Rose. I actually own six moon birds. I'm not necessarily, I've got a mutant ape too, but I don't want to put that one up just because I don't know. I don't feel like that's as you don't identify with it. <laughs> easy to identify with. Yeah. And I've got six of them, but I chose the one with the cowboy hat and the diamond eyes. You know what I mean? And even though I'm not a cowboy, I did live in Texas. And I know, I know Jeff Kaufman also has a moon bird with a cowboy hat. You know what I mean? And I know that some of these traits develop little sub communities, you know what I mean? And they all identify around these traits. And it's, it is something that's hard to understand until you're in the space. Right? Yeah. I mean, I think People should have skepticism about these things and they should also be also just be patient. Like these are new concepts. You know, I think when you were learning about social media for the first time, there were a lot of, you know, haters or people that didn't get it then too. But I think this is even bigger because there's a financial layer, there's a technology layer in addition to all the social and cultural impact. So I think it takes people, you know, a month to even six months to really wrap their head around some of these trends. And I think that's okay. You know, you take your time. I think, you know, speaking to, you know, we talked about a few different DAOs earlier. I think DAOs are a great entry point into the space. I think they're a great place to learn where you're not necessarily having to buy a PFP that might go down in price or something like that in order to join a community. DAOs are, you know, sometimes you have to buy tokens or, or membership to NFTs to join DAOs, but it's, it's much less about the financial reward and it's more about the community and having a place to learn. And I think, yeah, it's, it's a weird space, but you don't have to change your photo to a PFP. You can still appreciate the art or just buy stuff that you really love. And I think, you know, jumping into one of these communities is a really great place to kind of learn about that deeply. So given your art background, I would love to talk about, since we're on the NFT creation side of this discussion, let's talk about trends going on in the art world, specifically 
when it comes to NFTs. What are you seeing going on with artistic trends? Again, PFPs are driving almost all of the market size right now. And when you think about the actual artistic representation in the space right now, speaking broadly, there's mainly like three styles of NFT art, really broad categories, and that's pixel art, 2D illustration, and 3D illustration or 3D rendering. And I'm way over generalizing here. So any artist or illustrators that are listening, I apologize. But I think I think that's for the for the layperson, that's a good way to think about it. Pixel art, you can think of Moonbirds. We were just talking about CryptoPunks, which are you know the most famous NFTs out there, Mooncats. 2D illustration is what you would typically think of any illustration or cartoons. That's you know, the board apes are 2D, cool cats, doodles, these are blue chip NFT collections. And then 3D just means it's 3D rendered, you know, just like you, you see the actual makeup of objects a little more. It's things that you could actually, the technical term is to rig them. So rendering them, you create the art, rigging them means you give them a skeleton so they can move in, in some type of 3D world or metaverse. And there's a lot of PFPs that have done, you know, Playboys is, is 3D rendered, Clone X is one of these others. So that's at two or less, it's probably the least popular right now just because it's harder to produce, but there have been really successful collections that are 3D. My love in the space is pixel art. I think it taps into nostalgia, taps into old video games. I mean, pixel art was created because of the low processing power of video games back in the 70s and 80s. You think of Galaga, Atari, Pac-Man, all these games, the first Super Mario Brothers, like all these were pixel art designed. Um, And I I love pixel art that taps into that. And I think there's also some other reasons pixel art works really well. But all of these um, categories of illustration have, have seen success in different aspects. Well, and you and I talked about how pixel art is also something that could be stored on chain, right? So what, you want to mention that briefly? Yeah, I mean, because pixel art is so simple, you know, you look at some of these, they're as small as like 24 pixels by 24 pixels. So the amount of data that it takes up to show or to save is very small. So you can actually say this square is black, this square is white, this square is red, and that's very small on the code base. Um, so you can put them on chain very easily. There's new technologies that are coming around that allow you to put a lot of art on chain. But what that means is it just means that art will always be there. As long as the blockchain is here, as long as we have solar and wind power to power computers, that that art will exist. So that's a really cool aspect. And, and it's also just iconic and accessible. It's kind of, if you think back into the fine art world, you think of like art periods like minimalism or cubism. These are things where we're we're not trying to portray something that's realistic, like realism. We're actually trying to represent it in some way. It's representative art. And those are some of the most popular art trends in the world, art, art periods in the world. And I think pixel art is an extreme of that. It really simplifies an image or simplifies a concept. And it makes it into an icon or a symbol or something that really makes your brain work almost like a puzzle a little bit more than, than some styles of art. So there's a lot of things going for pixel art. It's also easy to produce. It's one of those things where it's easy to produce, hard to master, but most people can play around with pixel art or have played around with it either in MS Paint or when they were changing their AOL Instant Messenger icons and customizing them. Like all of these things started as pixel art. So there's a lot of touch points through the history of the internet. It really is a, a piece of art that started with video games and started with the internet. So it has some, some great nostalgia layers to it. So thinking about the fact that people tend to identify oftentimes with their PFP NFTs, and also that knowing that you lean towards pixel art, how can we be unique and also attracting a wider variety of people with our NFTs? I think producing NFT art is is very difficult, especially if they're PFPs, because you are trying to tap into this identity layer. 
And there's a lot of great illustrators out there that haven't done that before. They create art typically that's their own self-expression. It's not something that they want to create to have someone change their profile photo to it, right? So that's a little bit different of a challenge and even more challenging for brands because brands have to be very inclusive. They have to make sure they're, they're not kind of pushing away anyone in their audience or their customer base. And I think there's a few things that happen. There's there's a trend where there's just a lot of negative traits in collections. So think, think of things like cigarettes, someone smoking a cigarette, which if you smoke, that's fine. You probably identify it. Maybe there's a cool factor and people, some people that don't smoke identify it, but a lot of people see someone smoking and they don't identify it with it at all. Or artists do these things where they're looking for variety in a collection. So they'll they'll make like a curled lip or or crossed eyes or one eye closed or just in general negative traits when i say that it's it's something that you probably wouldn't identify your your reaction is it's probably a little negative at first even if it has artistic value you still might not and probably wouldn't have an identity connection to it so i think that's just training the artists training the illustrators some collections will have these negative traits and do well just because the collection is so big and it's kind of an appreciation of the total scope of the art but for the most part that's a problem. And I think you see it, you know, we've seen a lot of women PFP collections come along because there wasn't a lot of women represented in, in NFT art. You've seen some much better representation in, in kind of organic collections that have come out over the last few months uh, in the middle of 2022. But in general, I think making sure your collection is not excluding anyone visually um, and making sure that it has, that you're taking out traits or themes that might negatively produce a identity reaction at first. So these are these, I mean, we've made a study of this. We've made a study of PFP art and NFT art in general, and it's kind of just the beginning of this space. So there's a lot more room to grow and, and, and evolve, but those are some of the early things that I'm seeing that we help projects with that, that's uh, that makes them more successful. So there's things like gender, obviously, and there's also things like skin tone and I would imagine there's also things like cultural things. Like, for example, I know in the case of Moonbirds, they attempted to get advisors from lots of different cultures so that they could um, essentially try to attract a wider variety of individuals to their project. For example, for the Japanese, they had some sort of thing that went around the head. You know what I mean? Yeah. Stuff like that. Is that the kind of stuff we're talking about? I think all those are helpful. What Moonbirds did to get feedback on traits that people would like to see from a diverse group of people, they made sure women and people of color and people from different cultures were involved in that group. That's a great best practice. Um, we do that with with brands that we work with. The more people you can have preview the art and ask some of those tough questions beforehand is is really great. I mean, not every NFT collection has to represent everyone, but it shouldn't make people turned off to the collection. It shouldn't make people have a bad reaction. You know, the more people you can talk to and involved in that process, the the more of those things you can be aware of. I think that's important. There's some brands that will just not go into PFPs because of that, because they don't want to exclude anyone, or they'll make it a rabbit or a robot or a zombie because there's less kind of issues for them to deal with. Um, so there's a lot of options. I think as long as you're being mindful and asking those questions up front, then you'll you'll be successful probably. What are your thoughts about some of these nods to what the Board Ape Yacht Club has done with some of these various hats and stuff? Like the captain hats seem to work across all sorts of different collections. And, and you know, there's just all sorts of um, things that have been like an artistic nod to some of the people that came before them. And maybe even there was some stuff that was in CryptoPunks. I don't even know for sure. CryptoPunks, I don't think, had a lot to it because it was so basic. But do you think that it makes sense to 
give a nod to some of the bigger collections and some of those attributes and like diamond eyes, for example, you know what I mean? There's an underlying kind of iconic architecture that's carried over through collection to collection to collection. And, and I think a lot of that came from CryptoPunks actually. So if you see like, and some of it came from projects before CryptoPunks, but you know, 3D uh, headsets or I'm sorry, VR headsets, 3D glasses are huge. The white, red and uh, red and blue lenses that's in so many collections. And these are all mostly kind of, again, pieces of nostalgia, people, p- pieces of, you know, from either anime or cartoons or TV culture or gaming culture. And I think it's, it's all great. Those are, those are the perfect traits to use because those can tap into fun identity connections. And not everybody is going to love a pirate hat or a captain's hat or a cowboy hat, but people will buy and trade what they want. And that's kind of a piece of the, of the fun of it. Cool. So we've talked a lot about the art going beyond the art, you know, when we're starting an NFT collection, what do we need to be thinking about? Let's talk about size of projects and some of those kind of things. Yeah. I mean, there's different trends happening. I think brands launching smaller collections is, has become pretty standard instead of the 10,000 that you'll see kind of a, an independent group launch brands launching with a few dozen, 200, 500, a thousand, 2000, like those are, those are becoming more common. You also have brands that are launching tons of NFTs. I mean, the matrix did a hundred thousand. Um, so I think there's a lot of experimentation. Um, the size of the collection is not actually a big challenge. Like if I'm producing, you know, it's, it's, it's more about if you're producing like anywhere from 80 to 120 specific traits that can be randomly matched up through code. That's how we create these generatively. Um, I can create a collection that's, you know, a hundred pieces or I can create a connection collection that's 10,000 pieces. It's, it's not that different. And the only real difference is kind of your, your QA after making sure uh, going through all those pieces of art and making sure everything looks good and seeing if you need to run it more than one time. But the, I'd say the big challenges are, it's a few, few things. Number one is the art, getting the art right. I think um, just hiring an illustrator that hasn't done an NFT, NFT collection is not the right way to go. Uh, because there are a lot of little details to to be mindful of, whether it's a PFP or not. And then uh, the technical side, producing the smart contract, auditing the code, producing the minting website, making sure everything's safe and sound and a good user experience. Um, that is very challenging. You, you want to make sure your team has experience there. And then there's trends there as well, like free mints are, are more popular now, especially for brands where it's actually free to buy the NFT. Um, with with a small gas fee and then gasless mints are an even newer trend where it's actually completely free you don't have to have any money in your wallet so it makes it better for a brand who's launching nfts and the audience has no experience in the space we're building minting websites that are very accessible for that audience where you don't have to pay anything we set up the wallet for you we you know there's training involved and education but it's a very seamless easy experience for the for the either the customer or the end user and I think also just the, the broad strategy, of course, is also uh, something that's pretty difficult and we help people with. Yeah, I want to kind of back up a little bit here and, and dig in on a couple of these things. So first of all, hiring an artist. Based on some of the interviews I've done, for example, when I um, interviewed Crypto Tech Women uh, founder Gigi Scarlett, she found an agency that literally does all that, right? Like they'll go out, they'll, they'll, they'll find the artist, they'll, they'll do the generative art. Is this kind of the trend or are there like, places like marketplaces where you can find people that are nft artists because like you mentioned earlier it sounds like it's not super simple so i mean there are successful nft artists out there 
they're going to be much more expensive than than working with maybe an illustrator or a group of illustrators that you can um, that you can train and, and coach. Um, there are agencies that do that. We do we do the same type of work. Um, I think for a brand, you're typically going to hire one or more illustrators or hire them through an agency. And I think having someone that can creative direct um, that project is probably the most important piece. There's a lot of great illustrators out there. You want to make sure you find an illustrator that is talented, has a large variety and a large library of work. So you can kind of see that they can build out a lot of different traits and, and directions and styles. But you also want someone that's comfortable taking direction. If you're just looking for a great illustrator, some great illustrators just want to produce their own art. They don't want to be told like this line is too thick or or this eye is too close or something like that, right? So you want to make sure you're working with someone that has a little bit of commercial experience or is just comfortable with that commercial scenario where they're really customizing the art to the brand's purpose while still pulling through their style and their aesthetic. There's also been a lot of, you got to be careful to make sure that they're not ripping off other people's art too, right? Like there's been a lot of collections post mint where it turned out that the artist literally stole someone else's concepts and modified them. Right. And this is something a brand needs to be very careful of. Right. That only happens if you're working one illustrator and there's no creative direction and there's no kind of feedback loop there because I mean, any artist that I work with, I personally have done some of the art for our brands. I've creative directed almost all the art that we do with our brands and work with other illustrators typically have two or three illustrators working on a project for different reasons. But, you know, we work through revision after revision on some things. And where we start is typically miles away from where we end. And you know, at that point, you've customized it so much, even if somebody had some sort of source material that might be suspect at the beginning, which, I, you know, we vet our people very well. So I know we're not doing that. But even if someone started out with that, it wouldn't end up reflecting that art. I think you can be really careful there and make sure that's not going to happen. If you're hiring one illustrator and you're not really checking their work, that's a much more risky situation for sure. What about the the costs? I've heard that sometimes artists want a percentage of the collection. Sometimes they do flat fees. What, what seems to be the going standard in your opinion when it comes to advising people that are maybe wanting to get started here? Depending on what you're hiring for, whether it's one piece of art or a 10,000 piece collection, like if you're going up to a 10,000 piece collection and you're hiring either a really great illustrator or an agency to to manage that illustration work, I mean, it's probably a, a minimum like 50K investment. Like that's the high end of where you'll you'll start for those large collections, but you don't have to do that big of a project all the time. Like you can just do one nft art for like a membership pass for you know your your brand or for some kind of media play that you're doing the cost overall is pretty high if you're hiring experience which i recommend that you do in the space but there are a few other simpler things that you can do that are just more traditional design expenses one challenge in the web3 space in general is scarcity of talent it comes down to you experience that when you're hiring artists that are experienced in the space you're Definitely going to run into that when you hire developers experience in space because there's so much demand for the skill right now that they're able to charge more. So it is expensive. But I think, you know, brands that are serious about it and want to innovate and want to learn this stuff early, there's ways that can do it that are that are efficient and that are making sure that you're going to learn something and they be successful in some layer. I want to talk about the technical side of things just briefly. Do you have any recommendations on where people can find developers solidity developers that kind of stuff because obviously you don't want to mess up right like i've seen so many collections that have had their contracts were weak you know and then all of a sudden they had to like copy the whole thing and create it all over again or they had to deal with some real challenges on the on the contract side of things 
it's very difficult. I'll tell you, I've been working with Web3 developers for maybe 18 months, and we've you know, worked with some that have worked out and some that haven't. We do test projects to make sure things. We audit everything we put out there. So you know, a good audit of a smart contract can run you up to $10,000 just for the audit sometimes if you're really being very careful. So with like big brand projects, I, I do recommend that. If it's a smaller project and there's less risk because of some of the things you're, you're implementing, you can get that done for like one to two K, but audits are essential. Always do an audit on your smart contracts. So you have an independent party that's experienced doing, and there's, there's shops that just do audits that are really good at it. The best in the world is Hacken is one of the top ones. How do you spell that? H A C K E N. Okay. Um, you want to have someone independent audit the contracts so that it's just not one person or one team that is reviewing for mistakes. You want to do that for the art. You want to do that for the code as well. But there are a lot of solutions coming out that's, that streamline some of the code. Like, you know, there are templates for smart contracts that work really well for NFTs that are, are pretty off the shelf that are helpful. Like you still might customize the mint experience. There are also minting solutions that are becoming pretty streamlined as well. It all depends on what your strategy is and, and what you actually want to accomplish with your collection or your Web3 play. And the more customized it is, the more expensive it is, but it also might be better at accomplishing what you're trying to do. Like we we just finished building a gasless free mint customized NFT PFP project that we're launching for a brand next year. And it's, you know, it took several iterations. It took a lot of customization. There isn't any kind of white label solution out there that could do what we wanted. We had to build it. And that happens, you know, at least half the time. So when you say gasless solutions, I'm assuming you're talking about a non-Ethereum solution gasless just means the project wallet is paying for you to mint the nft oh. so you, you have to fund the project wallet so instead of you paying like a gas fee that's you know 10 to 100 dollars to buy or if it's on solana it's you know 10 to 15 cents to buy it you actually still get that fee paid it's just paid by the the collection it's like when you go to a furniture store and they say no sales tax they're, they're paying the sales tax. They're paying the tax, yeah. I got it. Okay, good. I wanted to understand that. What's your thoughts on free mints? Because obviously, we've seen the association, which is the NFL, with I think Dapper. I can't remember which one it was. And I would say it was a, it was a train wreck. I've, we've seen others go great with you know Goblin Town and stuff like that. So obviously, with free mints, it attracts a very different audience, right? I mean, what's your, what's your thoughts on that? I mean, it's great for the bear market for these independent projects that are just trying to create an audience. They don't necessarily care who the audience is. They just want to create a community. For brands, I think it's also great. There's ways that you can whitelist your actual customers to be the only ones that can mint, which I think is good. I think a free mint's good because most brands are going to have an audience where the majority of that audience doesn't know much about this space yet, doesn't know how to create a wallet, doesn't know how to fund that wallet with ETH or some other currency, cryptocurrency doesn't know the safety protocols and how to protect what they are getting. And I think really you want to protect that audience from the brand side. You want to protect those customers or those stakeholders and getting them in so they can kind of enjoy the the love of the technology, the the appreciation for, oh, I own this for eternity or I can sell it down the line and and the benefits of it get sold with it. Like having them learn about the space kind of in that pure form before they have to fund a wallet is I think a better experience and also a safer experience. So there's, there's a lot of steps that we're doing with brand clients where we're trying to simplify that experience for the customer, at least at the beginning. And then we have them in a community or some type of a comm situation where we can 
kind of hold their hand more, teach them about the space, teach them about the benefits, et cetera. So what I hear you saying is, while it's true that the uh, free mint isn't going to necessarily make any money for the brand out of the gate until it starts the resale side of the equation, it might be smart strategically just to kind of like get a community into the world of NFTs that might be part of their larger base. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, number one, uh, the main reason brands are doing this is so they can learn. Like they, they're not necessarily thinking these projects are going to be multi-million dollar revenue channels. They're not necessarily thinking, you know, this community of a hundred or a thousand or 10,000 people is going to change our business. They want to learn. They want to create a base, you know, stick their, stick their foot in the door and, and really make sure that they're able to understand some of these technology lessons that allow them to build what's going to work for them in the future. And I think that's key. Like there's going to be so, I mean, we're creating a matrix of, of kind of measuring who's doing well on the brand side in the Web3 space right now. And NFT collections are just one of like nine categories we're looking at. There's so much to learn in this space. A lot of this is just an entry point for the brands. And I, I definitely don't think brands should get into NFTs to try to make money from the start. I mean, if you're a big consumer brand and you're willing to invest like Nike has or like some of the high-end luxury brands have, I think, you know, there is opportunity for revenue. Play, Playboy, Time Magazine, Adidas, Nike, Tiffany's fashion brands, they've made millions of dollars off this, but that, that's not, I don't think that's a reason to get involved. It is an opportunity for some of these brands, but it, that takes a lot of investment. I mean, this is, you know, Nike bought a whole company, a whole Web3 startup to get where they are and the success they've had. So if you have that level of investment, it's an opportunity like that. Otherwise, I think, come from a learning perspective is, is the best uh, place to start. Well, Jason, we've learned a lot from you today. If people want to connect with you on Twitter and or on your website, where do you want to send them? And be sure to mention the Remint DAO as well if they want to check that out. Yeah, so at Jason Keith, K-E-A-T-H on Twitter. Um, you can email me, Jason at socialbrush.com or check out socialbrush.com if you want to work with us as a brand. Remit DAO is really exciting. It's a great passion project. Uh, we're having a lot of fun there. That's remitdow.com if you're if you are investing in NFTs and you want to join something that's more accessible than like a proof or or a flamingo DAO, where it's really expensive to get involved, this is a great place to come where people just love the art and they want to help kind of build collections out, give them a spotlight. Jason, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your insights and answering my millions of questions. We're better because of it. Thanks, Michael. Always great to talk to you and uh, really appreciate the show you're putting on. It's a great service for everyone. Hey, if you missed anything, we took all the notes for you over at socialmediaexaminer.com slash C37. If you're new to the show, be sure to follow us. And would you let your friends know about this show if you've been a regular listener? I'm at Stelzner on Instagram and at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Crypto Business Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day and may Web3 continue to change your world. The Crypto Business Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. The information provided in the Crypto Business Podcast is provided solely for educational purposes. Do not treat what you hear as investment, trading, or financial advice. Do your own research. Want more good stuff? Sign up for our top-notch social marketing newsletter. We deliver it straight into your inbox three days a week. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates.